The parish of Pinchas, the story of Pinchas, begins at the end of the parish of Balak and continues through the beginning of the parish of Pinchas. Now, when we think about the story that we are told, we see that it has three elements to it. The first element is the, the sin of the people of Israel and their fornication with the Benot Midian. And uh, the second element is the action that Pinchas took against this situation. And the third element is the reward that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to Pinchas Ben Elazar Ben Aaron HaKohen. If we start from the third uh, element, which is in Perikav Hei Asuk Yud, Ve'edabe Hashem HaMoshe Leimor Pinchas Ben Elazar Ben Aaron HaKohen Heshiv et Chamati Me'al Bnei Yisrael Bekanot Kinati Betocham Ve'lo Kiliti et Bnei Yisrael Bekinati Lachen Emor the reward that Pinchas is going to get, Briti Shalom. Rashi says, There'll be a covenant of peace. He, he owes him something. Avkan Pirish now this sounds a bit uh, uh, regular, Shlomo Tav, Pirish Shalom, but when we look upon it, a covenant of peace with Pinchas, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, Pinchas lives, and then Pinchas dies. And what does it mean that, uh, that he gets a covenant of peace? And... Uh, we understand that Pinchas did a great thing. Um, so Rashi says, He acted in place of God. He was really properly angry. I still don't quite understand it. I mean, he was angry. He, he acted. He did the right thing. But this reward of the Kanoet Kinati. Now, B'nai Yisrael did a bad thing. They gave in to their Yetzer Hara, so to speak. They were unable to control themselves uh, in the face of uh, the offering of Benot Midyan. But was this a greater transgression than the transgression called the Chaita Egel? When the Jews, when the Jews made the uh, golden calf, is this a greater transgression? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how we had to judge it. I don't know what it was exactly that they did at this time. And while it is certain that what Pinchas did was a correct thing, uh, 
why was this the greatest thing that anybody had ever did? David done, I'm sorry. We look at the Psukim that describe what he did. He saw. He got up. He took a staff in his hand. Kind of a spear. Rashi says, He saw what was going on and he remembered the halacha. Uh, Aboel Aramis, Kanoim Pogimbo, Aboel Aramis, Kanoim Pogimbo, Rashi says, Omar Losa, Moshe Rabbeinu, he said to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen, let's do it. This is the halacha that you taught. It's going on right in front of our eyes. Kanoim Pogimbo, that's us. We're the Kanoim. Omar Losa, Moshe Rabbeinu said to Pinchas, Kayana de Garto, Ihu Lahava Parvanko. That the one who is reading the the message, the the letter, he shall be the shaliach. So that there was at least this difference of opinion between Moshe and Pinchas. Pinchas thought at first that Moshe Rabbeinu should do it. After all, he was the teacher. He was the person who brought us this information. He explained to us what we have to do it here, it's happening. The case is right before our eyes. It's not like the person who collected trees on Shabbos. But Moshe Rabbeinu had to go and ask HaKadosh Baruch what the Psak was. No. This was something that Pircha uh, said, you taught us this exact case. This was the case that we were talking about. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, not me. Let's do it. Hello. Just one second. Um, I think Miriam is working. Good. Try calling again. Good. How are you doing? So once again, Yoshua thought that Moshe Rabbeinu should act. Moshe Rabbeinu was certain that he shouldn't act. And he told Yoshua, uh, Pinchas, I'm sorry, he told Pinchas that he should do it, and Pinchas did it. And he was rewarded so that, that with Rashi we had this issue. Uh, like what was the hesitation on the part of Moshe Rabbeinu? Why didn't he do it? 
certainly him doing it would have would be even of greater authority than Pinchas, who learned the halacha from Moshe, from Moshe Rabbeinu. And the third part of the story, the third part of the story is that he did it. So he did it. He went and he... Uh, they all saw that they were actually in public fornicating. And therefore there was, there was no doubt that he had done the right thing. And then Rashi says, sim You see the Rashi at the end of Pasukyud? Many miracles were done on behalf of Pinchas. This is, this is what it says. This is what it says in Sanhedrin. Now if you look at it, you have three sources. There's the source in Sanhedrin. And the source in Bamidbar Rabbah, which is, you know, on the sheets. And there's a third source, and that third source is the Targum to Pasuk Chet, the second Targum, Targum Yerushalmi. So if you look at the Gemara, the Gemara says, Shisha Nisim. Shisha Nisim. The, the Targum says, Shtem Nisim, that there were 12 Nisim. You know how it is with Nisim, they tend to multiply. As you remember from the Leil HaSeder. Miracles tend to multiply. But in the Gemara it says there were six Nisim Nasul Pinchos. Now what were the six Nisim? Echad Shayalo Lezimri Lefrosh Veloparash. That means that when Zimri saw that Pinchas was coming to kill him, he knew that he could only kill him. That's what Kanoim Pogimbo means if he is actually Bifarhesia in public engaged in the act. But if he's not engaged in the act, Bifarhesia, then he can take him to court. He can ask to be judged. Everybody knows that it's very difficult to prove that something happened. That even if you think you have witnesses, the witnesses can be attacked and accused of a lack of precision. And, and all of that all of that means that um, that the Kanoim Pogimbo option only existed because of Zimri's obstinacy, right? That that if he were, Rashi explains the Gemara Sanhedrin, Shayalo lefrosh min ha'isha, v'shuv ein nitan lahorgo. And then, of course, if he separates himself from this woman and uh, Zimri and Cosby and, and separates himself from this woman then uh, then there's a whole different the, the, the judgment is different there's no longer a din of Kanoim Pogimbo so the first miracle was that he acted against uh, common sense Shayalo Lefrosh this was a miracle Ayalo Lefrosh Rashi says Bin Aisha Vishuv Ein Nitan Lahorgo second miracle was Be'echad Shayalo Lidaber Velo Diber Shayalo Lidaber Rashi says Lizok Lanshei Shifto Lisayo After all 
one against one. I mean, Pinchas stood a chance, but if he would have called all of the all of the transgressors together and said, uh, "This guy is trying to do us in," then there's no doubt. There's no doubt that he would have won. That he would have been able to stave off the attack of Pinchas. But he didn't do that. Right? They didn't do that. And, and, and this is all called miraculous. Which the Gemara in Sanhedrin, and then repeated in the Medjush Rabbah that you had uh, below, you see how the Medjush Rabbah says, uh, the Medjush Rabbah that you have in front of you, It's about halfway down on the page, a little less, uh, a third of the way in, a quarter of the way in. Anesa Echad, Darkon Lefrosh Zemizet, Vidbikon Hamalach. When somebody comes running in with a sword, with a, with a, uh, to kill you, you know, come in with a, with a rifle, and you're going to kill them, so they, they start running. The angels kept them together. The Medrash says, The Malach closed their mouths so they shouldn't scream, and the screaming would bring upon them the others. And that's, uh, and that's how Ibinhoz uh, uh, was able to do what he was able to do. So the salient message, I think, here, the salient message in this particular uh, uh, medrash, which is repeated again, the medrash and the Gemara and the Targum Yonasa, is don't think that it's, it's an a easy path to take, that you can be Kanoim Pogimbo, that people can just, because Kanoim Pogimbo only works if they are in the process of doing the act, the Avera that is referred to. And if they're not going to stop, and they're not going to call help, and they're not going to, you know, in that case, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Arona Kohen was able to accomplish what he was supposed to accomplish. So that the story, as understood by the Medrash, by understood by Chazal, in three places at least, is that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to go. He told Pinchas to go. But we all understand that Pinchas could never have accomplished this, uh, his purpose, if not for the fact, if not for the fact that, uh, that uh, God allowed the Malach, the angel, to perform miracles on behalf of Pinchas, the one who was going to straighten this all out. So, the question may be further enhanced and say, so why didn't Moshe do it? Certainly, if it was something that demanded miraculous intervention from heaven, didn't Moshe Rabbeinu think that that miraculous intervention would come more quickly to him than to, uh, to Pinchas? Or, alternatively, another way of saying it, or another way of thinking about it is uh, that if, in fact, Moshe Rabbeinu was worried that he would not benefit from miraculous intervention, how we tell that, but, that, that, that he would, that, uh, that, uh, uh, that Pinchas would, then it remains difficult, more difficult for us to understand. 
Why not? Why wasn't he going to benefit from the miraculous intervention intervention of, uh, of the Malach in favor of Moshe Rabbeinu? So we have a, a kind of a tension between Moshe Rabbeinu and Pilchas. Also the fact that the Brish Shalom, that the covenant of peace, which is the desired covenant. All the Jews understand that that's what they really want. I mean, they want this covenant of peace. So that that uh, uh, it ended up with Pinchas and not with Moshe Rabbeinu. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu, by giving up the opportunity of Kanoim Pogimbo, <coughs> actually also gave up this opportunity. So if I would have to explain all of this with Derech Chasidus, and we learned this today, well, we learned uh, uh, a, a piece of Rav Noson about the parish of the Shavua, which you could also access through the uh, through the Web Yeshiva. Uh, let's understand the nature of the transgression. It's possible to look upon the transgression in two ways. I was to say that it does like like horror there's a horror for everything. You know, you eat too much, you sleep too much, you drink too much, uh, and, and some people think that sexual adventures are, uh, are what they should be involved in. But as I said before, I don't think that the uh, Veira compares to the Chet Ha'egel, which is actually an Veira that is connected to an Veira that is connected to uh, uh, to Avodah Zorah, to denying God. We have to understand that in Hasidus, uh, not only Hasidus, um, the, uh, uh, the sexual averes uh, uh, are very significant. Because after all, the male, uh, the, the, the os bris, the bris, the covenant between B'nai Yisrael and, and the Kodesh Baruch the covenant that says that Jewish history has an end and that that end will be reached which is not to say that the people will not be punished along the way for transgressions but it means that somehow as long as the Os Bris exists Jewish history will exist and while we have had our ups and downs because we have not always been faithful to the covenant, to the mitzvah, to the Torah. Nevertheless, the covenant has always been there in back of things, right? There has always been, there's always been a covenant. So, if you take the os bris and you use it to attack God b'farhesia, if you sort of say, and this was the wisdom of Bilam, wisdom I mean, Bilam was a bad person, but he had certain understanding of things. And he understood that an Avera that was committed with the Ospris, the sexual transgression, would be devastating to Am Yisrael. It would be totally, uh, 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 it would defeat them in the sense that history would have to stop. It would be over. And even though Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu managed to gain a reprieve from HaKadosh Baruch Hu after the Chet Ha'egel, 
that reprieve that he received was not uh, absolution. It wasn't that God said nothing happened, that there were no Averis. It was not that. What God said was, okay, they will live, but I will remember this Avera, the Chet Ego, whenever they have to be punished. And the punishment will be more severe and more severe because of the Chet Ego. So that the Nei Yisrael were allowed to live, but they were not able to get back to where they were when they received the Torah. The Gemara says that when B'nai Yisrael received the Torah, they were pure. They somehow had managed to rid themselves of the poison of the Nachash. The Nachash meaning, who is the Nachash? The one who, who uh, told them that, that God's directives are, are not absolute. You can reconsider them. You can give them new interpretations. You can deny them. That was what the Nachash said, and that was the Zuhamor. That was the poison that entered into Am Yisrael. And it was that poison that prevented them, prevented from Am Yisrael from being who they could be at the time of, of Matan Torah. But they couldn't live that way. They couldn't live that way. The, 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 the result of that, of the poison coming back into them, into their, into their minds was that that nothing had any meaning anymore. Nothing had absolute meaning. That was the hate of, of other Mauritian eating from the tree of knowledge. That maybe God said it, maybe God didn't say it, maybe God meant this, maybe God meant that. That was the beginning of the hate, that there were no absolute values that were adhered to. That was until Matan Torah. When they were able to accept the Torah because they were pure, they understood what absolute values meant, they were ready to accept the obligations that God placed upon them. They were a new people, a new old people. They were the people who were the sons of Adam HaRishon Lifteachet, before the great transgression. Before that great transgression. So Adam HaRishon, before the transgression, could have received the Torah. But after the transgression, the children who were chosen to receive the Torah had to go through a purifying process. And that purifying process included slavery in Mitzrayim, included the difficulties of the Exodus, included the witnessing of the miraculous salvation that they, that they experienced. All of that was included. All of that was included. So you see B'nai Yisrael came to Har Sinai ready to accept uh, the Torah because they were ready to accept a directive. They could see that there was pure, there was a pure directive someplace in the world and they were able to follow it. The Chet HaEgel upset all of that. They became somehow, they possessed the Torah on the one hand but they were not worthy of the Torah on the other hand. And so in this kind of uh, unworthiness, it may be the only thing that maintained them was the Os Bris with Avram Avinu. That Kodesh Baruch said to Avram Avinu, look, uh, you need this. You need an Os Bris. There's got to be something physical in your makeup that says that you're part of this arrangement. And so the Os Bris was established and carried on through the generations with some 
Hafsakot, but carried on. And all of a sudden, in the time of Pinchas, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Kohen, this Oat Brit was endangered. It was in danger of becoming meaningless. Because he had uh, fornication in public. Men and women publicly denying their commitment to God. Uh, the, the, the men, the Israeli men, denying their commitment to God and to the Oat Brit. This was, this was the situation that Pinchas came upon. And so Pinchas said to, uh, to Moshe Rabbeinu, look, you do it. You have to take care of this. You have to become the, the leader again at this time. But Moshe Rabbeinu was fearful that after being discredited by Korach and also being discredited by Bilam, because even though it's true that at the end Moshe Rabbeinu prevailed. But for a while, Moshe Rabbeinu's situation seems to have been shaky. And you know that a shaky situation, a shaky situation is, is it leaves, uh, leaves an impression. There's the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was not able with finality to, to, make, uh, uh, to make Korach turn away and put down his arguments for a better situation. That fact alone remained a defeat for Moshe Rabbeinu. Even though eventually HaKadosh Baruch came to his aid and destroyed Korach so there is no doubt that Korach also made life difficult for Moshe Rabbeinu, as it says in the, in the Chumash. He had no response. He, Moshe Rabbeinu, had no response for Korach. The same thing is true for Bilam. Bilam was a prophet. And Bilam's prophecy is wondrous. And all of B'nai Yisrael were impressed by the wondrous prophecy of Bilam. And finally Chazal say that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the parasha of Bilam into the Torah. I mean, lest you think for some reason that the Torah of Bilam is less impressive than the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. No, it's exactly the same. It's the Torah that's written. It's written for Moshe, for, from Moshe Rabbeinu, put it to the Torah, exactly the same. So along came Bilam and somehow he convinced people to jeopardize the nation of Israel, to jeopardize their relationship to Israel. To, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. and that's through the Otabrit. He chose this transgression carefully. This was the transgression that was going to open the door, so to speak. It's going to open the door to uh, God's denial of B'nai Yisrael. So that it was important for Moshe Rabbeinu that the, that, that the people should return to themselves. That it should come from the people, it shouldn't come from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was not the future of Am Yisrael, as HaKadosh Baruch explained to him. His children were not, as Moshe Rabbeinu explained to HaKadosh Baruch so to speak, that Moshe Rabbeinu would not become the father of a new nation. But Moshe Rabbeinu had to see, or wanted to see, that from the ranks of Israel, 
from the ranks of the people this understanding would come that there was a way to save the situation that there was a future and that understanding came through Pinchas because Pinchas was the one who said Pinchas was the one who said I know the halacha and I'm going to act upon it he was a Talmud he was the next generation and therefore therefore it's interesting that the Chazal say that Pinchas was Elio Anovi. What do you mean, Pinchas Elio Anovi? Who is Elio Anovi? Elio Anovi, as you remember, was the person who didn't die. He rode up to heaven in a chariot, and his student Elisha stood there and saw him disappear into heaven. And you know that this mean this is special meaning for us because when the world was created. HaKadosh Baruch didn't think of death as being part of the creation, so to speak. God created the world that people would die. That wasn't the idea. God created the world and they would live forever. But they didn't, they weren't willing to accept the challenge of living forever. And so, Adam Arishon, his lifespan was cut down to a thousand. And then he donated 70 of his years to David HaMelech and so we are bound to 930. But the, the bris, the covenant, means that, that the people somehow will achieve the status of being before the fate, before the sin in Gan Eden. And therefore they will have the option for life. Olam hazeh, tchiat ha-meitim, olam haba. That's how we think about it. That there is a life option. That, that death is not the only option that there is for us. But there is an option of life as God had imagined the world upon creation. That life, life would be the, the nature of the created world. And this is Pinchas acting as Eliyahu Anavi or turning into Eliyahu Anavi. And this is Briti Shalom, the Shalom between God and man, which includes, which includes eternal life. And whether that eternal life is just years piled up upon years, or it includes Tchias HaMesim, the resurrection of the dead, and Olam Haba, and a life in the, in the next world. All of that is part of, of Pinchas. So that the, the, the problem that came up in the time of Pinchas is much more serious than we might imagine. Because it looks to us like a transgression. And transgressions can be dealt with by punishment. And punishment can be dealt with by, by, by tshuva. But this was not the case. Because we understand today, we understand today that the existence of Kalal Yisrael is dependent on the notion of the covenant. That the bottom line in the relationship between God and B'nai Yisrael, the bottom line is called covenant. And that means that the relationship will always exist. But at this time, at the time of Pinchas, the Jewish people were calling into question whether they wanted to be part of that covenant. And the way they did it was by 
transgressing with the outbrit, with the sign, the sign of the covenant, by doing sexual trans- transgression that enabled them to say tacitly, and he did to tacitly say, we don't want this arrangement. We don't want this agreement. We're not interested. We're not interested in all of that. That's what they said, tacitly. And only someone who learned the halacha from Moshe Rabbeinu, not Moshe Rabbeinu, but someone who learned the halacha from Moshe Rabbeinu, could prove that the existence of, uh, of the Jewish people was rooted in a profound acceptance of this writ, of this idea that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will always stand facing B'nai Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael will always be standing facing HaKadosh Baruch Hu in good times and in bad. And so Yoshua bin Nun took, the, took up the challenge and killed the perpetrators and indicated to B'nai Yisrael that we were still the nation of the covenant and that we understood that the covenant would uh, ensure our continued existence in the world. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Yoshua the bridge Shalom. He made this new covenant with him. A covenant that not only was the Torah going to remain with B'nai Yisrael because they achieved a kind of purity of self, but that in fact uh, uh, eternal life, Elio Navi, Elio going up to heaven, alive, that eternal life would be granted to B'nai Yisrael, that in one way or the other, the covenant would enable them to get back to the status of Odom Arishim of Neachet, a first man before the sin. Before the sin meaning before he actually did what he did, he and his wife, by eating from the tree the tree of knowledge.